Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk, a new series of candid conversations covering the issues facing freelance professionals today. I'm Tom Rizzo, your host, managing director and founder of Plectrum Advisors, an investment advisory firm based in Los Angeles. On each episode of Let's Talk, I'll be speaking with some of the most plugged in experts to help you and me make sense of today's changing environment and to help you be smarter about how to approach work and life. So let's get started. Many of you have already seen our first episode with Kim in which she talked about how the fund works, what her role is, and what was new at the Film Musician Secondary Markets Fund. That episode is archived on our website if you'd like to view it. On today's episode, we're gonna specifically concentrate on new media and what new media means for musicians' residuals going forward. Well, welcome, Kim. I'm so glad you're able to join us again. Uh, I so enjoyed the last uh, interview that we did where we covered uh, in depth all of the things that go on at the fund and, and how they affect uh, participants and how things work, nuts and bolts and that kind of thing. And uh, I'm so glad that you agreed to come back and help us focus uh, on uh, some of the uh, particular issues and see if we can go a little bit more in depth. I right. thought that um, today we might focus on new media and what it means and what it means for participants and what the future might hold and, and how things are, are going in that area. So uh, if, you're, if you're game for that, that's, that's where I'd like to go. Uh, okay. before, we, before we start on new media um, specifically, why don't you give us just a brief overview um, like we did in the, in the last interview of, of what the fund is, what it does, you know, how it came to be and, and what it is that you guys do over there. All right. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you very much for the opportunity to come back and speak with you. And I hope uh, shedding a little light on the Film Musician Secondary Markets Fund is helpful uh, for the uh, musicians community. Uh, the fund has been around now for officially for 50 years. Uh, it was a 51 years. It was established in 1972. And what it does is it collects um, allocates and distributes to musicians the residuals that musicians are entitled to for the distribution of films and television programs in what are called secondary markets. After it leaves the movie theater and it goes to DVD or pay television, there are residuals that the musicians union contract requires. We collect those residuals. We um, figure out what each musician is entitled to under the formulas in the union contract. And then we distribute those monies uh, usually on July 1st of every year. That's pretty much what uh, our main, one of our main missions, our second mission is to support the community, the film and television music community generally. And that work involves uh, educational seminars, workshops to help not just musicians, but also up and coming filmmakers to understand how to work with professional musicians in film and television scoring. So those are the two things that occupy most of our time. Uh, we have, uh, we collect roughly uh, last year, $135 million uh, on behalf of musicians. 
Uh, we have about 43 staff people uh, who do the work here and make sure that those checks get out the door uh, to the musicians who earn them. That's great. It sounds like a daunting task, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you you gave us a little bit of an idea on how big the organization is. And um, a lot of us on the outside, we really don't know what all that you do. So thanks for thanks for that. So uh, on our preparation call the other day, we talked about uh, we discussed what what should we talk about? What's what what are people talking about in the field? What are musicians concerned with? What are their questions? What um, would they like some more information on? And you and I both uh, settled on uh, this topic of new media and what it is and what it isn't and how it affects musicians and what the future might hold and that kind of thing. So um, can you give us, a, um, uh, from a starting place, just uh, give us a definition of what's, what's meant by the term new media and then maybe go into a little bit about um, how um, projects that are either made for new media or old projects that went someplace else and now are coming into new media, how those get affected with uh, fund collections and distributions. Okay, thanks. Well, the irony is uh, an example of once you give something a name, it sticks forever. Mm. Uh, new <clears throat> media is not new by any stretch of the imagination. It's been around in the audiovisual context, uh, as we know it, pretty much since the turn of the century. Uh, the new media definitions and terms and residuals that we've become more familiar with really came about uh, in most of the union and guild contracts starting in 2007, 2008, and in the case of the AFM uh, in their 2010 agreement. What new media is uh, for purposes of the contract is essentially digital services that allow you and I as consumers to access audiovisual content in the case of the AFM agreement, specifically motion pictures, TV series, and other kinds of programs uh, to access them through the internet in some fashion. And that's whether you access it through a streaming service, we'll talk about that, uh, whether you download it to rent for a period of time or you download it to own uh, so that you can watch it, uh, let's call it the electronic version of, of owning a DVD. Mm -hmm. um, that is, generally speaking, what is meant by new media in the context of this contract, now these contracts. It could mean other things in other contexts, but I think for purposes of this discussion and what it means to for residuals for musicians, that's really those are really the definitions that that we're talking about. So, um, what what it also means is that you have two different situations, uh, as you've mentioned. You have a situation where what we call um, product made for traditional media. So someone makes a movie that's intended to be shown at your AMC theaters or a television program that's intended for 
ABC Network or CBS or TBS for that matter, leaves its original platform and goes to new media. There's a whole uh, provision uh, in the agreement that speaks to what the residuals are in those cases. Then you have the situation of something that is made specifically for a new media platform. And that is a very different scenario that has different uh, implications and different uh, real world uh, implications for residuals for musicians. So I, I will stop there and see if there are specific questions that you'd like me to touch on. All right. Well, this is. I, I think. I think you've uh, you've touched on the um, the prime area of confusion, um, because if we look at, uh, we're going to show a chart a little later on in the in the uh, in the program, where you're going to break down the um, uh, the sources of inflows to the fund, um, whether they come from pay TV or getting shown on an airplane or a DVD or new media. And when uh, I looked at this chart this morning, maybe we'll put this chart up now and we'll, we'll just take a little look here. Um, you see um, the area that seems like it is the largest area of growth is the, the red band in there, which says new media. Mm -hmm. And um, musicians are uh, understandably confused because they're thinking, well, I thought that when things are going to new media that we have either restricted or um, significantly lower or no residual payments. So why is this thing growing? Do I misunderstand how this thing works? Can you speak a little bit to that? Yes, and it's very confusing. So it is understandable that folks misunderstand how it works. Let me start by, um, outlining the three different types of new media services that the AFM agreements um, speak to, because they divide them up into uh, two major categories. So the AFM agreement makes a distinction between services that require you and I as the viewer to pay something to be able to access or versus services that allow you and I as the viewer to watch the content for free. We, got, we have to sit through commercials, but we can, are able to watch it for free. The agreement breaks those into two different categories. And within the category of what's called consumer pay, you and I have to pay something to watch it. There are really two different types of um, concepts. One is you and I as the consumer um, are able to view the, the content through a limited period of time because we pay a subscription or rental fee. So think Amazon Prime or Netflix and we pay whatever that monthly amount is that allows us to look at their content. The other consumer pay concept is I download something uh, to keep. So think um, Apple iTunes, uh, that if I buy a movie to keep on Apple iTunes, from Apple iTunes, 
that's called download to own or electronic sell through. So in the, in the, pay category. And I'm leading to why this is confusing. <laughs> okay. Um, in the consumer pay category, the most common sources of the residuals that you, we're talking about come from the streaming services. So which we abbreviate as SVOD or SVOD, which stands for subscription video on demand. So think Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, all of those types of services um, where you pay a subscription, there is a residual that is generated when a movie or a TV show moves onto one of those platforms. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Download to own or EST, which stands for electronic sell-through, where you can buy it to keep. Um, and you think about Apple iTunes, Microsoft movies or TV, but also some of the subscription services you can actually buy to keep as well. Um, they do offer that. You contrast that with free services, which in the agreement, it is, I, this is a mouthful. It's called free to the consumer advertising, advertiser supported services transmitted via the internet, which thank God everybody abbreviates to AVOD, which stands for advertiser video on demand. But basically think about YouTube, Freevee, um, Pluto TV and similar services where you can see it for free, but you probably have to sit through commercials. Um, and some of the SVOD services will sometimes offer promotions for free, and that's considered AVOD when they do that as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what's the difference? Why, why are people confused? And the reason people are confused and understandably so is you have to go back to what is the original platform that the movie or the program originally aired on. So if a motion picture was originally intended for theatrical distribution and its first market was it went into theaters or a TV show, let's pick one, Grey's Anatomy, I'm just you know making that up, was originally on traditional television or um, The Walking Dead, which was originally on traditional old school basic cable, AMC. That's the primary market. Under the contract, it says, if it moves to one of these new media platforms, whether SVOD, AVOD, or EST, there is a residual that is payable for that. By contrast, if it is made originally, for new media. And examples of that are the two, uh, three that I can think of, and they're all TV series. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or um, The Handmaid's Tale, which is made for Hulu, or 11.22.63, which is um, a series that, that I believe also is on Hulu. If it is 
made specifically originally for one of the new media platforms. And usually it's one of the subscription services, you know, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, they're all creating their own content. The residuals are very limited. First of all, if it is something that starts out on a subscription service, there's really no additional residuals if it continues to play on that subscription service. And there are residuals if, if it started on that subscription service and then went to um, television. Uh, if it, for example, went to, um, went to um, pay, pay television or to DVD, there would be a residual. However, that doesn't happen that often. If, if a company is making something for a subscription service, the business model is such that it doesn't make any sense to put it in DVDs. Um, it, it happens, I guess, maybe they are marketing, you know, to my age group that, that um, can't figure out how to get onto a subscription service and they're still doing things in DVD. But for the most part, if a company is making something originally for a streaming service, that's pretty much where it's going to stay. Mm -hmm. And if it stays there, therefore, there really is not um, residuals for the continued use on that streaming service, at, or even if it was available for download, um, it's that it, there aren't residuals yet in the agreement. Now, what is going to happen in the future with negotiations? Uh, we don't have anything to, to say about that, um, but that's the way the contract is structured right now. Mm -hmm. The one exception um, that exists is if a program, and it's usually a program, is made originally to be shown on a free streaming service, an AVOD service, and then it goes to a pay service, either a subscription service or download, then a residual would apply. And ah. it, it happens, but it's relatively rare. Let me give you an example of where it happened. You may recall when I think I can't I think it was still called CBS All Access when it first was when CBS All Access was first coming going live. One of the ways that they wanted to attract viewers to their service was to promote the new Star Trek. I think it's Star Trek Discovery was was the big flagship. Mm -hmm. from the franchise. Mm -hmm. And what they did, which was smart, is they made it free. The first three episodes of the series were made free on the service to attract you as the viewers because, you know, they're all us Star Trek fans out there. Um, and then after the third episode, then everything flipped to pay only. Those first three episodes, because they started out on a free service, the fact that they're on the subscription service now, residuals are payable. Ah. 
but for all the other episodes that were net that were initially released only on the paid subscription service there are no additional residuals for those episodes i hope that's a lengthy answer but i hope it clarifies where the confusion is no it's good uh uh i think uh the um confusion also may be um this point is so if i understand you correctly um things that are being made directly for new media something made for netflix or amazon prime or hulu etc if it's made directly from there and if it just stays there that there are no residual obligations for those mm -hmm. um, it seems like there's a good portion of what's going on um, these days in production that is that um, i don't know what the percentage is so how does, how do you explain, if that's the case, the explosive growth in the monies that are coming into new media on the chart? We'll put the chart up again here, where you're seeing that red band looks like it's increasing, but you had just said, well, it should be decreasing because there aren't um, residuals for uh, a good portion of uh, what's going on now. So can you speak to that a little bit, Kim? Sure. Well, first of all, there is a lot of what I'm going to call um, product made originally for traditional media that gets thrown onto um, new, the, the new media services. So uh, many of the companies uh, over the years have opened up the vaults nice. and put things that were sitting on a vault that maybe were not um, marketable on pay television, maybe they weren't marketable in the cassette or DVD market, but in the new media market, it's there's so much um, space for inventory that why not, if you're a company, why not put something out there and see if you can get, even if it's small, mm -hmm. get some return on that product that's been sitting in a vault. Um, for 15, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two is, and this can be really, really confusing for working musicians. Um, a number of the companies that are making motion pictures, their model is such that they want those motion pictures to be eligible, particularly for Oscars. So what they do is they will produce them for theat for limited theatrical release. They'll be, you know, maybe two weeks in New York and LA and then throw them onto their service. But because they started out in a theatrical, uh, in a theatrical venue, they are treated as theatrical. So, which means that those two weeks on in movie theaters in Los Angeles and New York um, gets residuals, generates therefore residuals when those movies move over to uh, a new media streaming service. And that is a very, very common now um, business model. The other thing is that the, there is a mutual understanding in the industry 
which can be very confusing because it's not written down anywhere, but it is the understanding um, that everyone has been operating under. So let's rewind to 2020, uh, the beginning of the pandemic. And if you think about it, there were a lot of scoring sessions that happened in late 2019, early 2020, for what people anticipated would be theatrical motion pictures. And so when the musicians were hired, the contract said, this is for theatrical. The pandemic hit, theaters shut down. And what the companies did was, since they couldn't put it in theaters, they put it on their new media services. So in that case, because the musicians were actually hired under session contracts that said, this is for theatrical, even though the first place it showed was a new media service, it was treated as if it was a originally shown in theatrical. Mm -hmm. And that is still the working understanding. Sometimes the company, when they, when they are doing a project, they're not really sure where it's going to go, even wow. now that things have opened up. So sometimes the contract may say, this is for theatrical. The company makes a business decision. You know what? We're going to put it on our streaming service, not, oh. yeah, not send it in theatrical. The musicians still need, need to receive residuals as if, it was tr as if it was originally released in theatrical. And that's sort of the general rule. Mm -hmm. So what is confusing, but musicians can ask is when they are contracted, the contractor should know what the contractor is being told it is for. Mm -hmm. And the B7 form, the session contract, should identify what market it's for. And for many of these projects, they're actually saying it's theatrical because it could be, and just it makes it more convenient for everyone to just assume it's theatrical. And then there will be residuals down the road if that is how the musicians were engaged. Because the theory is if the musician accept could have accepted two, one, you know, maybe could have accepted another job. But if they accepted the job thinking it was theatrical and therefore um, there would be residuals down the road, a back end that the musician would get, then it's, it on, it's only fair that that's how it'd be treated because those musicians could have gone and done another gig um, if, if they, you know, if, if they had thought it was something else. So got it, got it. I hope that explains. <laughs> Well, it's confusing. I, well, I think it does. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts here, and it's. Uh, um, I mean, one of the prime things I'm hoping to get, uh, I get the word out here with this interview is to be able to um, uh, look at all the parts because I think there's there's some misinformation out there, and and it, it's it is confusing, you know, because it's uh, it's it's difficult to parse. So just just to reiterate here that the 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 contract kind of is the gold standard. If the contract is that it's a, a theatrical motion picture, irregardless of what ends up happening with it, 
uh, the contract is going to determine whether there are residuals attached to this. That's correct. It will be treat it will be treated based upon what has been placed on the B7 form because that's what the musicians accepted when they came and did the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Let's let's take a let's let's put the slide up again. I'm going to take a look at, at my copy of this, and uh, <clears throat> let's take let's take a look at at what else is in here. Um, so we've got it looks like uh, we've got five categories at least on the on the mm -hmm. colored part. We got the new media which we just talked about, and then we've got pay TV, DVD, free TV, and then the not specified. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about each of these here, Kim, and and and, and at least define what pay TV is and, sure. and that kind of thing. So let me start with not specified. Okay. <laughs> not specified is there are some companies that when they report to us, they report in a generic form supplemental markets uh, without oh. breaking down what specific supplemental market it is. So. Uh, we put not specified because we're not really sure, and it could be new media residuals, it could be pay TV, uh, we just don't know. So we put not specified, and that's been, in terms of the percentage of the monies that come in each year, that's been pretty consistent. Um, pay TV is, if you think about, um, I always say, if you have to pay for it and don't watch commercials, that's pay TV. So think about um, HBO, Stars, Showtime. Uh, I believe Epics would also fall in that category. Those are pay TV because you get that through your television, your, usually your cable provider, but you have to pay something extra to be able to access HBO, Stars, Showtime, mm -hmm. those pay TV services. Mm -hmm. Free TV is um, you're not really paying anything extra to get it. Now, free TV in the context of the AFM agreement includes basic cable as we know it. So if you think about, I've signed up for Spectrum or I've signed up for um, Charter, whatever the, um, the service is that, that one has, mm -hmm. uh, and you sign up for basic cable so that you can get your traditional TV stations like ABC, CBS, um, NBC, Fox, um, you know, Channel 9, uh, mm -hmm. all, both the local and the network um, stations. But what comes with it are what we call the basic cable system. So it's, it's bit, you're not paying extra to get MSNBC, to get C-SPAN, to get... Um, AMC or TBS or TNT, they basically come with the package. Mm -hmm. And you, as you think about it, when I say free TV, the way to think about it is if you have to watch commercials, and if you think about it, if you're watching TBS, you've got to watch commercials. Mm -hmm. If you're watching CBS, you have to watch commercials. That Think of that as free television. Mm -hmm. uh, DVDs, pretty clear, that's DVD and Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. uh, what you will see is uh, on that chart, as you'll know, the pay TV uh, ribbon, uh, excuse me, the DVD ribbon rather, 
the DVD ribbon has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller as a percentage of the monies that come in, both percentage and in real dollars, mm -hmm. uh, since um, the first fiscal year that's on that chart, which is fiscal year uh, 2011. Mm -hmm. And overall, uh, from the various services, DVDs have precipitously declined. And that's not different than you think about it. Think about what happened in the late 1990s with CDs yeah. when yeah. Uh, music became available through, you know, Napster and all those, uh, the illegal services as well as the lawful services. Yeah. Uh, it's a similar dynamic that um, the, the growth in consumers accessing content through the new media services and the residuals that have flowed from that off have offset the decline in residuals coming through uh, DVDs, uh, and that's that's not surprising. It's just you know sort of a a transition in technology that yeah. that we all understand. I think the question will become down the road: at what point will the growth that you're seeing? Uh, either plateau or decline, I don't have the answer to that, or will yeah. it keep growing? Right. Uh, and a lot of that will depend upon what's in the contract uh, mm -hmm. going forward, as well as um, what kind of content, um, you know, it's even though a lot of content is being made directly for uh, the new media services, it's not like primetime television has gone dark. Mm -hmm. uh, companies are still um, putting primetime, uh, putting content on their TV stations. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there is a question how much of it will be drama versus reality versus mm -hmm. talk versus uh, the, you know, the music uh, content shows, which, which fall under a different agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, but so far, new media has been additive yeah. and has not cannibalized at this point. Mm -hmm. But where things will be in two years, three years, five years, uh, if I had the answer to that, I would be uh, queen of the industry. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, I agree. And is there another technology coming down the line that's going to change everything? Sure. I mean, we've seen when we went, I mean, I'm old enough to remember vinyl records, CDs, and then downloads to buy and then streaming, you know, is, uh, especially with AI coming into, you know, prominence now, is there, is there going to be some change that we can't even see coming? It's likely, right? Yes. Um, yes. So, um, well, this is this is all really good. I'm just looking at my notes, seeing if there's if there's something else um, um, that we that we haven't covered. Um, uh, it, so many of my colleagues are you know, uh, working musicians that are uh, have been either uh, working for years and years and years or are just starting out, and, um, uh, and so many of them depend on these uh, residuals from that the fund collects. Uh, to be a, um, a, a rather substantial part of their livelihood. So um, understanding how this stuff works is, um, it kind of behooves everybody to really understand how it works so you can plan and, and get an idea on, you know, it, to the best of our ability at least, um, uh, to know what, uh, what's coming. 
Uh, can we can we shift for just a second? And and we covered in the last um, interview, we covered something that I I, th I think bears um, repeating. It, it's it's a little boring, but can you talk about um, establishing? The proper beneficiary and beneficiary of beneficiaries in the fund, because I think this gets this gets ignored or or something. And I, wow. I, I would just I'd just like to spend a second on that. Yes, well, um, it's it's boring but important. Um, yeah. And under the AFM contracts, and one of the things that we administer is that when a musician passes away, um, his or her residuals will go to a beneficiary. Um, and under the policies which have been established, uh, there is an opportunity for a musician to actually name two generations. Uh, so the musician can name a beneficiary uh, and also a musician can name a what's called a musician's final beneficiary. So let me use an example. If I'm a musician, I can fill out a form that said with the fund that says, uh, if I should pass away uh, or when I pass away, I would like my husband to get all of my uh, residual, whatever residuals are come on my account. But then I could also say, but when my husband passes away, I would like to name as my musician's final beneficiary, my niece. Um, so that when, when, and if my husband ever passes away, the residuals will go to my niece. Now, only the musician can name their, their beneficiary and their musician's final beneficiary. And it's really, really important for the musician to take the time to fill out those forms. Number one, um, if they don't fill out the forms, then we're, uh, having to follow through and see if we can even find someone in an estate. And sometimes that's very difficult. Um, and um, someone that the musician would want to receive their residuals after they pass away, mm -hmm. it may take us a very long time to find that person. And we've, we've had those challenges. But also because only the musician can name a musician's final beneficiary, if the musician does not fill out the form naming a musician's final beneficiary, so in the example I just gave, if I don't fill out that form, my niece is not going to receive the residuals after my husband passes away. So I strongly urge musicians, I know paperwork is a drag, but uh, it's it's important and no one likes to think about it, but it's, it's a really, really important uh, I will say benefit that the AFM uh, contract has provided uh, for musicians to, uh, you know, pass down some of what they have earned to a beneficiary or a musician's final beneficiary. So uh, please, please, please fill out the forms and they are available on our website. Excellent. Excellent. I'm glad we covered that. You know, we we counsel and and help a lot of our uh, a lot of our clients um, to uh, get their estate planning in order. I mean, we don't do that. We we recommend uh, estate planning attorneys to help them with that. But we found that this particular aspect of the fund is not necessarily general knowledge of many estate planning attorneys. They don't know this exists. So it's kind of incumbent on the musician or the fund beneficiary or the fund recipient to 
um, to take care of this um, and to bring it to the attention of your estate planning person that, you know, this exists. I have these cards, these beneficiary cards, give them to your estate planning attorney, make sure mm -hmm. the copy of them are included in your trust or, or your will, um, that kind of thing. But um, this is not being paid attention to as, uh, as much as I would like it to be paid attention to for people. Um, so I'm glad we, uh, I'm glad we admonished a few folks. Too. Yeah, well, and I'm glad I'm glad you raised that because a lot of the estate planning centers around royalties, which right. are under completely different rules. This yes. these residuals are governed by the union contract, and mm -hmm. the rules are not necessarily the same. And we find uh, sometimes we run into very sophisticated attorneys who have a hard time understanding the distinction between the two. Yes. Uh, and if they did understand it when they are creating the plan for their clients, it would make things a lot easier. So I, I do appreciate you raising this because what we do here can be a little arcane for folks. And so it's always helpful to shed some light on it. Yeah, it's it's you know it's a very small niche of people that we're you know uh, that uh, the fund serves and you know the general public and attorneys and that kind of thing you know they just don't run into it so um, this is really up to the individual participant to know that that's the case and to raise the issue and um, you know if the if the attorney needs more information well then he at, at least he will have. Um, the knowledge that maybe he doesn't have all the information and needs to needs to investigate it further. So, and it's not uncommon. I'm a perfect example of it. It's not uncommon of the the family not knowing. You know, not every musician has an estate planner, but it's not mm -hmm. uncommon that the family doesn't know that there is something available. And like I said, I'm a perfect example of it. My dad was a musician. Uh -huh. He New York musician, but he did some work out here. And I didn't realize until I came to work here that there were residuals for my dad here. Oh, interesting. Wow. wow. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and I, I'm a pretty knowledgeable person yeah. So um, yeah. about this business. So that just goes to show you it's not easy. And I'm really glad that you you raised this issue uh, yeah. with, with folks. Yeah. So at the, at the very least, I would encourage every fund participant to at least take a minute, go to the uh, the website, and we'll we'll put this up on the uh, on the screen here, or, or in a little bit later, um, we'll put it up. Just go to the website, grab the beneficiary card and the final beneficiary card, fill them out, submit them, make copies of them, uh, include them in your estate, give them to your estate attorney, or if you you have a will, make sure it's it exists with your will, just so that. Um, uh, People can find and distribute the royalties that are right that you've earned uh, that your heirs uh, can be entitled to. So. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I will also just uh, always like to remind folks our toll free number, which is 888 443 6763. Our staff is always happy to answer questions about this and other issues um, that that musicians may have. Well, that, that's that's great, Kim. We'll put those numbers up on the screen here if we haven't already. And uh, I just can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy day to help uh, help me and everybody else 
get a little better handle on how things work and to clear things up, especially in this new media area, which is, uh, it, it took me a while to get up to speed. And, and um, uh, I, I imagine that um, everybody else is kind of in the same boat. So I really appreciate you taking the time to explain it to us. And I encourage all those at home that are watching, if you're a fund participant, reach out to the fund once again, Go grab your beneficiary card, make sure that that's up to date, or if you want to change it, make sure you change it if your wishes have changed. And um, feel free to reach out to um, Kim and her staff if you've got any any questions. And uh, with that, I think we'll uh, we'll sign off here, Kim. So thanks okay. again for taking the time. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And oh, thank uh, you. I look forward to uh, to the next time, Kim. Well, and we look forward to having opportunities uh, in 2023 to get more information out there. So I hope uh, you and all the other viewers will 